0: Our scripture reading is Romans, chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. His word is good. You know, there are, there are a lot of scripture readings that deserve a hallelujah, his word is good. But I would say this is definitely one of them, right? What can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord? Nothing, right? Hallelujah. His word is good. Welcome to Trinity. My name is Jonathan. I get to serve as a pastor of our church, and we are finishing up um, what has been, I think, a seven-week series through the book of Romans. We are at the very, la- not the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, one specific chapter. And we are at the very end of Romans chapter eight, the last five-ish verses. And so I'm going to pull some of these themes together for us. But I'm very excited uh, to wrap this up and to be engaging with you. And next week, as we, I won't be here. You know that, right? Right. Somebody else is going to be preaching on that week. But we're starting a new series uh, that we're entitled "Engaging with Jesus." Excited for some other teachers to be leading you. But we'll talk about that at the very end. All right, so Romans 8, verses 35 through 39, as Paul closes out this incredible chapter, he continues what we called uh, the white hot logic of the gospel. Verses 31 through 34, verse 31 said this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's thinking well, right? He's using his mind. He's thinking about the gospel. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33 said this, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it who shall condemn? God is the Supreme Court Justice of the universe. We asked the question last week, Why dip down into lower courts jurisdiction if the Supreme Court Justice has already ruled in your favor? Not guilty. Who can bring any condemnation in your life if God has pronounced this, that you are justified? And now here in verse 35, Paul both asks and he answers one final life-changing question. Verse 35, who and what has the power and the ability to separate you from the love of God, the presence of God, the goodness of God? He uses specific language. What can separate you from God's heart, from God's love? And the answer is again, no one. Nothing. Eternally secure now and eternally secure forever. But listen to what John Piper adds. He says, But the design of this passage is not to add eternal security to a life devoted to earthly comfort. The design is to promise eternal security to free you from a life devoted to earthly comfort and to give you the freedom and joy and courage to move toward need, not toward ease. You see what he's saying? He goes, this passage is not about cheap grace, where you're thinking to yourself, man, I can do whatever I want. I've got total security now and forever. This is cheap grace. This is not Costly discipleship. This is not taking up your cross and following Jesus. This is not the good stuff of Christianity. You want the good stuff of Christianity, you listen to Jesus and you follow his way. You don't say, thank you for the doctrine of Romans chapter 8. It's very reassuring. I'm actually really grateful that there are no commands in Romans chapter 8, only promise. The promise is amazing. It leads to apathy and a life of a lack of conviction around the person of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for Romans 8. No. See, Romans 8 and the freedom, what it does is it reorders your loves. The Bible is designed to reorder your loves. But Romans chapter 8 is designed to reorder those loves, not by force fitting and bending them into religious shape through guilt or shame. Rather, our loves or our hearts are reordered as we come into the presence of the real and living God who doesn't bend them into shape because if you bend something unbreakable, it will snap. But if you take something that can be heated up and you melt it into shape, then your life has new form. And that's what Romans 8 is all about. It's about changing your life, changing your heart, eternal security, not for a life of apathetic conviction. But with a new heart, new conviction around the reality of who Jesus is, melting the old heart into shape. So, three things I'll take you through today as we close Romans 8. Number one, the gift of assurance. Number two, the gift of reversals. And number three, the gift of being in Christ. All right? So, the gift of assurance, the gift of reversals, and the gift of being in Christ. Look at verse 35. <clears throat> It's got to be one of the dark plagues of the human heart. And it is this simple question. Who is going to love me? Now, for real, like, who is really going to love me? If people really knew the real me, if they knew what I had done, if they knew my history, if they knew what my weekend looked like, if they knew my family dynamic, if they understood that this exterior shell, all of that performancism, if they knew that this facade was just a way to cover up for an entire lifetime of insecurities, like if they knew the real me, if they knew that I presented a whole lot more uh, successful than I really am, if they knew that was who I really was, they knew the real me, then no one, not even God would desire me. Everyone would leave. I would be all alone, left in my own hell, the worst thing ever, seen but rejected, known deeply, but not embraced, right? That is the question. Who's really going to love me for me? I don't want to say that Paul, the writer of this book, he understands that question too, because for much of his life, before he encountered the person of Jesus Christ, they dominated his spirit too. These people aren't immune from human questions, these saints of the scriptures. These are very real, very honest, very searching, very longing human beings. You know how I know that the Apostle Paul wrestled with that question? Because everybody wrestles with that question Who am I? What do I have to do to be seen, accepted, loved? welcomed in. The Apostle Paul wrestles through this. And this is why after all of the promises leading up to this point in Romans chapter 8, in verses 31 through 34, have your Bible open, have your phone app open, look at those verses 31 through 34. This is why, because Paul has wrestled in verse 35, he asks the question, who's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? If I am truly loved... Is there anything that can come between us? Is there anything that I can do to forfeit his love? And the answer is nothing. Let me give you a caveat. It's not really a caveat, but it's food for thought. Nothing can separate us, but sin and selfishness, they can distance us from the love of God, right? Sin and selfishness do that. Pain and suffering can at times serve to mute our connection to God, but nothing can separate us is what the bible says nothing can separate us from the love of god if i have been called says paul then i have been justified says paul and if i have been justified by the life death and resurrection of jesus then he's got a redemptive grip on your life and he's not letting go hallelujah right his word is good let me give you a few reasons to believe that this is true and i'll take you to part two a few reasons to believe that god will never let you go number one We have something better and more reliable and more consistent than our own impressions, than our own circumstances, and our own feelings to confirm that God loves us. Don't you sense that? And if you have walked with God for any amount of time, there are times where we say to ourselves, I feel as if I'm loved by God. Like Right now, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. Right now, I feel like I've had a pretty good week. So if I were to reflect on God's love for me, I would probably say, yes, I think he loves me, that he's proud of me, that he cares about me. This is self-righteousness. This is self-assurance. This is not the redemptive love of God. But we have something so much bigger. It's called the Word of God. Do you know that the Bible itself is a redemptive love story? That God loves you, that he's written a story about his love for you, that it's a rescue narrative. Like God is coming to rescue people that the Prince of Heaven left that space that he came to our planet in order to express love and affection and devotion to you. The Bible says God loves you. The Bible says that God loves me. The Bible says that God has set his love upon us in Jesus Christ. We don't have to lean into our week and our circumstances and how we're feeling in the moment. The Bible says there's something that trumps that. And it's the word of God. It's a redemptive love story spoken over your life. Have you read it lately? And do you know what God is saying to you? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? Do you know his words? Do you know what the the, the centerpiece of Christianity is this thing called the cross and resurrection? you know what that's all about? Love. God loves you. Don't just feel it, read it. He spoke it. This is what the scripture is about, number one. Secondly, the word of God tells us that God loves us because he loves us. Remember that? Talked about this last week? God loves us because he loves us. And the alternative is absolutely devastating. The alternative to the scriptures teaching us that God loves us because he loves us is devastating because it means God loves you because of something you do or don't do. And if God loves you because of something you do or don't do, then there is tremendous pressure upon your life to continue to perform doing that thing or not doing that thing. And we have the audacity to call the gospel good. If you are saved by what you have done or not done, then why would I even have the courage to stand up here and preach because it's about you and what you do or don't do. But Christianity says God loves you because he loves you, which means you never earned it, which means you can't, lose it. You see that? That's the logic of the gospel. I never earned God's love. Therefore, if God loves me, I can't disqualify myself from God's love. It's it's what Jesus has done. God tells us he loves us because he loves us. Third, how do we know that we can never be separated from the love of God? You know why? Because Easter actually happened. We are not here reflecting on the memory of a dead Savior. We are here talking about worship of a risen, resurrected, and ascended Savior who Paul tells us over and over again is interceding on your behalf. He's groaning with you and for you. He is alive. Do you believe that? Like When you pray, if you're a Christian, are you praying to a memory, to a mystical experience? Are you praying to a God who says, I defeated death on your behalf? You want to know if I love you? Bad things are going to come into your life But because of Easter, you know it's not because I don't love you. Easter proves that I do love you. Jesus has gone into death, and as one great preacher has said, he knocked a hole through the back of it so that you and I can walk straight through. Easter says you are deeply, deeply loved. And then finally, fourth, Jesus was separated from God's love so that you would never have to be separated from from God's love. Man, that's the terror of Gethsemane. It's the terror of the cross. It's three days in the tomb, separated for the first and only time in history that the father turns his face away from his son. Why did he turn his face away from his son? Because his son is bearing your guilt and shame. Can't look at him. Turns his face away separated for three days so that you and I would never have to be separated for three seconds. That's the redemptive love of the gospel. That's what Jesus has done for us. This is how I can read the end of Romans chapter 8 and Paul is so sure, he's so certain, nothing will separate you from the love of God. How do I know? Because the word of God tells me it's bigger than circumstances. Because the alternative is devastating. God loves me. Because he loves me. Thirdly, because Easter actually happened. And then lastly, because Jesus was separated so that you would never have to be. In Luke 11, Jesus says, Which of you, which of your fathers, or which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The key of that verse is the how much more. Man, I love my children. I've got three of them. It is a father's heart to bless them. I'm a sinful man with a broken disposition, with character in need of mending, and I want to bless their socks off. And Paul says, how much more? How much more does the perfect heavenly Father want to bless you and love you, right? The love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's move to point two, the gift of reversals. I love this section. He talks about being more conquerors. What does that even mean? Let's talk about that. The gift of reversals of a Christian life is one that's modeled around the way of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. We understand him. We're not trying to impress him, but we're looking at the rhythms and the routines, the traditions of his life, the movements, the cadences, and we see perfect humanity. We want to be like Jesus because we have been redeemed by Jesus. You see that? I don't get redeemed by Jesus, blessed by God because I act like Jesus. No. He has moved into my life when I was not near him, and because of that, because he's made an enemy, a friend, man, I want to be like this person. I want my life to reflect him. And in reflecting Jesus, what we do is we give up things. This is who Jesus was. We give up our right to control, where we give ourselves away and we find ourselves, where we play second fiddler second violin if you will right to Jesus' first chair and for the modern person this can sound regressive can't it oh i have to submit myself to somebody else i have to be second what about my primary needs and my life and my happiness for the modern person it can sound regressive antithetical to so many of the values of western society but this is the opposite Of Nietzsche's Übermensch, which is that Uberman, Uberwoman, this conquering superman, superwoman who used their will to power to overwhelm and bows to no one. That has driven so much of Western individualism. But listen, but to be a Christian is to be someone who's already been conquered by grace. See that? That's what it means to be a Christian. Like, grace has conquered my life. Because Jesus has conquered me in love, I no longer sense the need to craft an identity by exerting my will to power and conquering other people. Society tells me to do that. Jesus says, give your life away. Now, let me make a connection. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all, therefore all have died. you see this? The love of Christ controls us. I think the King James says, constraineth us. The love of Christ squeezes us. The love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ compels us and moves us forward. We are people, as Christians, who have been conquered by God's grace. And the result is not that we lose ourselves, but that we become, ready, more than conquerors. What does this mean? We don't lose ourselves in this process of being conquered by God's love. We become more than conquerors. A conqueror is somebody who has defeated her enemy, somebody who derails his foe's purpose, strikes down her opponent. But more than a conqueror, this is crucial, more than a conqueror, makes her enemy work for her own purposes. You were against me, but now that I am more than a conqueror, I'm going to take all of that force, all of that devastation, and we are going to repurpose it and reposition it to work for my good. Not only have we won, but I have turned you, my enemy, into a servant of the purposes of God's goodness in my life. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, let me show you this. Paul writes, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary troubles are forming in our lives an eternal weight of glory that is going to make the moment look small and insignificant by comparison. Here's what Paul is saying. Life is not always easy. Pain comes at us in all different shapes, sizes. Afflictions are very real. They will work against you to discourage you and lead you away from following Jesus. But instead... Because Jesus Christ is never actually backed into a corner, and he can use all things to achieve his purpose in your life. These light and momentary troubles are doing something to your life, to your soul, to your spirit, to the life you're living right now in a way that nothing else could. What Paul is saying is the afflictions coming for your faith to derail your love for Jesus. But if you're in Jesus Christ through faith, you can see this position completely reversed. Here's how John Piper put it. He said, affliction raised his sword to cut off the head of Paul's faith and yours and mine. But instead, the hand of faith snatched the arm of affliction and forced it to cut off another part of his, ready, worldliness. Mm. And so affliction is made the servant of godliness and humility and love. See, your afflictions, your hurts, your wounds, all of those things that each of us carry, the enemy wants to use them, to lead you away from Jesus Christ. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. God says, I can use this not to cut off the head of your faith, but to trim you down and to prune you so that there is less worldliness in you so that you begin to look more like Jesus. That's how big our God is. Our enemy wants to use your performance review, your child's wandering, your unmet desires and dreams, that flailing marriage as a way to discourage and to defeat you, but only Jesus has the power and understanding to reverse this for your good. Ray Ortland says, if you are in Christ, you are more than a conqueror. You are living proof that Satan is a loser. You are humiliating him every day, not because you are strong, but especially when you are weak, and Christ is your only strength, your only hope. How frustrating for Satan to have weakened you and defeated you and brought you low, only to discover his enemy strongly present with you at your point of need. You see what he's saying? He wants to use anything and everything, the enemy, to bring you low. But when you are brought low, this is where Christ erupts in your life. When I am weak, then I am strong. When he comes to tempt you to despair, he goes, oh no, the strong one is with him. The strong one's in her life. My affliction is being turned on its head. It has brought me only closer to Jesus Christ. You know that as Tim Keller passed away last week, I believe it was last Friday, one of his last words that was passed along on social media was simply this There is no downside for me in the slightest. There is no downside for me leaving, not at all. What did he mean? what he meant was simply this because of Jesus even death death itself only brings us closer and into his presence it's our last great enemy but the moment our hearts stop beating i'm going to be face to face with Jesus is that a reversal or is that a reversal see what i'm saying this is the glory of who god is man do not put him in a little god box our god is glorious our god is huge Because of Jesus, there is no spiritual force in heaven or in hell that will release his redemptive grip on your life. Everything can be used to make you look more like Jesus, depression, cancer, anxiety, all of it. Enemy wants to use it to derail your life. Jesus wants to use it to make you look more like himself. The gospel is an incredible story of reversals where, let me list a few things, where the humble are included, right, and the proud are left out. This is the gospel where blessing is spoken upon those who weep, not upon those who keep on winning, where God tells us He's near to the brokenhearted, not to the self-assured, where orphans have their entire world reversed, where orphans are made family, where sinners are made righteous, where beggars are are made royalty, where death is defeated through death itself, where enemies of God are welcomed into a secure attachment with our Savior that makes us more than conquerors now and forever, where the dead are actually brought to life. Christianity is not about making good people or bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. What a reversal. Only our God can do that. The gift of reversals. And finally, The gift of being in Christ. Let me say this as we get to this last part. Paul is not preaching a groundless triumphalism. As if we get to walk around through the streets and your places of work and your families and be like, don't worry about what's happened to me, I'm more than a conqueror. No, no, I'm more than a conqueror. Like as it's this kind of prideful boast. That's not what he's describing. What he is talking about is Christ as our champion in Christ, right? The gift of being in Christ makes me more than a conqueror. Apart from Christ, guess what I am? Less than a conqueror. Apart from the reality of Jesus Christ, man, I am plagued by guilt, sin, shame, and the fear of death. All of those would overpower us. And this is why Paul concludes Romans 8 the way he does. For I am sure, look at this verse, 38. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. He goes, you got anything else? Nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, key, in Christ. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. When Jesus took on flesh, left heaven, came to planet earth as a human being, he united himself with us forever. He became human, and He stayed human. The sharing, the union, is forever. Rankin-Wilburn, who's a pastor and author, he writes, We are not alone. Jesus knows our frame because He assumed it. He knows we are dust because He became it. And now dust sits on the throne of the universe. You are united to one who is like you, ruling the universe. He became like you. And the best news of the gospel says that everything Christ has achieved is now shared with us who love him. His perfect life, his sinless death, his resurrection, his defeat of the grave, his righteous character are all rightfully his. But if we are in Christ, you see, they are all now rightfully yours. That's the gospel. Everything that He accomplished, if you're in Him and if you love Him, is yours. As that well-known hymn puts it, At one with Him, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ, in Christ, on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. When God looks at you, He sees your life hidden in the person of Jesus Christ. To quote Keller again, he said, On the cross... Jesus was putting himself into our lives, our misery, our mortality. What union so that we could be brought into his life, his joy, and his immortality. I close with this. Should your heart stop beating today and you find yourself at the gate of heaven posed with one of the most important questions in the history of the world, the simple but vital question, why should we open the doors of heaven for you. Can I say this? Do not point to yourself. Do not point to what you have done. Do not point to your morality. Do not compare yourself with a neighbor who had a much worse life than you. Do not say, I think I have done enough. The scriptures clearly say, our God is so big and so holy, you can never do enough. You cannot. What you do, though, when they ask you that question, why should we open the gates of heaven for you? Is you will point across the way and you'll say, don't ask me why, but I'm with him. And you will point at Jesus Christ. And you'll say, I'm not sure why I've been included, called, and justified. I'm not sure what this is all about. I know that he has set his affection on me. There's really no reason you should open eternity for me, but he has set his His love on me, and I'm with him. And when you point at Jesus, you know what he's going to do? He's going to walk over to the gate. He's going to pat those angels, those guards on the the shoulder. He's going to say, thank you, thank you. But then he's going to show them his hands and his feet. And he's going to say, this is the admission. It has been paid. It has been paid in full. Let them come on in. This is what the gospel's about. It is about a God who will never stop serving you. He's committed to you. He loves you. There's nothing that can separate you from his love now or forever. I end with this. Are you in him? Are you in Christ? Like do you want to be in him? That's what this is all about. Says it at the top, doesn't it? Spiritual formation is the spirit led process of becoming more like Jesus, of abiding in Him. Got to know Him. Got to be tethered to Him. I want His life upon my life. I encourage you as, you as we wrap this series up to let the gospel wash. Let it allow you to drop certain things, chains fall off, freedom to be yours. Let's pray to that end. Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus we want to be in Christ. What a gift to be in our God. What a mystery, a strange thing, but it's the Holy Spirit who does this and allows us to be in you. we thank you, Lord, for the power of the gospel, the pronouncement of the Apostle Paul, his life being transformed, our lives being transformed by the love of Jesus that will not let us go. Oh, love that will not let us go. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your profound love. Even death cannot hold you back. We thank you for the reality of Easter. We thank you for the word of God that speaks love over our hearts. We thank you for the body of Christ that nurtures this in one another's lives. And we thank you that you are profoundly close, profoundly good, profoundly near. Jesus, a blessing upon this church family. Let us know your love We want you here. Come and meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen.